The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. Welcome to those of you joining online. We're glad you're here today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 7. We're going to jump down in there. Got a few things to take care of. We are excited about um, discipleship. Grant will be out in the lobby if you want to sign up today or talk to him. You have any questions, um, he'll be out in the lobby for you to do that today or you can sign up online. Pretty cool stuff happening there. And uh, Leah Steen, is that right? Stand up, Leah. Stand up, everybody say hi, Leah. All right, so she's leading a a discipleship group that's going to focus on healing, and uh, it's a ladies' group that, uh, you know, what I would say about healing from wounds. I've walked through uh, some very painful stuff in my life um, before coming to this church. There are some wounds that you will not get over if you're not walking with other people. Like, I know that from experience, and so um, great. Um, I'm so excited for her because I know she's a woman of prayer, and I've talked to her about this, and so I would just really encourage you that, hey, man, if, if you're looking, maybe, maybe just say a little prayer. Am I supposed to be a part of that, that, that group? Is that something I'm supposed to be in? And I would encourage you uh, to take that step of faith. Evergreen is happening today after second service. That's pretty cool if you're looking for a way to plug into the church <laughs> or eat pizza. <laughs> They'll be having pizza today, so that's kind of fun. Uh, and the Chiefs are playing, man. Come on. Yeah, I knew that would get you guys fired up. Uh, I'm going to ask Brother Shay to come up here. Those of you who don't know Brother Shay, some of you may be new to the church. I'm Pastor Shay. He's been on staff for five years or so. I met Shay um, at Lifetime playing basketball. You could tell he went to the University of Arkansas on a, and played football. <laughs> he's a kicker. No, he, he's a kicker. Uh, no, he's a, he's no, he's, nah, he's good. He's a good. He, he's all right. But I'm not that good either. But anyway, uh, so uh, I didn't know anything about him. Thought he was kind of weird. <laughs> Still, dude, now I know he's weird. <laughs> But I connected with him. I told him one day I was praying for him, and I literally was praying for him. Um, and he was, he was kind of caught off guard by that, and I was like, about what? Next thing you know, we're having um, lunch, talking about his life. Um, they were about to move back to Arkansas, and, and we met a few times. And we met a few times and had lunch, and we did not know that either one of us liked to bow hunt, which is weird because... It's, you know, I, I, it's, for me, it's Jesus, my family, and bow hunting, and now pickleball. Uh, but uh, so that was kind of weird. I wore a T-shirt, and you're like, hey, you like that? What is that shirt? And then it was a Matthew shirt. And so that right there, when that happened, it was kind of over for us, right? Yeah. Or it was kind of really like, just started. yeah, like this, this thing is, the Lord is up to something. And so through that, Shay was working for GE at the time, ended up leaving that job, on a step of faith, um, and he had no income and really didn't have much money either, right? No. And so we was like, no, he, he'd go to work for the church. <laughs> He's desperate, man. Right. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's right. Uh, but no, that's not, there was so much more to it than that. And oh boy, what a joy has been and has impacted the church um, in a tremendous way, both you and Molly. Many, 
The church uh, through the entire time has been blessed. One way it's been blessed is there were times that I felt like giving up, just literally, uh, and uh, running out of gas, wondering if this thing was ever, like, is the Lord going to bless this thing or we're going to start getting movement? And you came into my life about that time, um, and which was a big deal. And what a joy uh, of refreshment you brought to my life and Molly and the kids. And so I've been able to play a role uh, as, as a boss uh, in one sense. As a mentor, you let me speak into your life, um, and I've appreciated that. But above everything is our friendship. It's, it really is genuine. Like we, They usually come to our house for Thanksgiving, and I mean, we're family. Like It's, it's really kind of cool. Uh, and I've never had that in, in a staff member, and so that's been a real special thing for me. But Shay, um, he said, well, why, what is he doing up here? You just didn't talk about y'all's broship, what, your bromance? <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. I'm, I'm wanting to vomit now, too. So. Uh, but, uh, and I already did this once, right? Uh, but the church, so they, Shay and Molly, they have a place in Missouri, and they have decided, the Lord is leading them, um, that they're going to move down there, um, and, and they're going to sell their home here. He, he re- resigned from his staff position already, and that was effective at the beginning of September. We're going to still see them around. Shay will still fill the pulpit from now and then. I think that they still um, will be in town from time to time and plan on, I know they'll be here because Molly needs connection, all right? And he's taking her to the boondocks, like... <laughs> There's nothing in Appleton City but a Walmart and a Taco Bell and a McDonald's, okay? So, uh, but uh, anyway, we, we, uh, we want to bless you, okay? We want to honor you. And, and, you know, when somebody leaves the church on staff, you, you don't all, you're not always in this place where men, they, they, they really had a huge impact, but you guys have. And so um, I thought long and hard. Now, Shay already knows this, so he's not going to be so surprised, but he's still surprised. Like, I got you on this you one. You got me on. Yeah. And so he, he likes, uh, Shay is a guy that likes experiences more than he does things. Like, I like things. I like tools and stuff. But we, he likes experiences. Um, but he doesn't like to do experiences alone. He doesn't like to hunt alone. He likes to, somebody to be in the truck with him all the time. Uh, I think he's afraid of the dark. <laughs> so... Uh, what we, what the board authorized me to do um, is, uh, so Shay and I have been putting in for a hunt in Iowa for the last three years. We should get drawn next year. Mm-hmm. And so the, the board said, hey, we, we want you to uh, take Shay on a hunt and you guys go together. And that's a big deal for us. And so, that's yeah. a huge deal. Yeah, yeah, man. And so, because we don't know where we would hunt and, and, or anything like that. So it's a big deal. If you guys want to be a part of that, you can, um, you know, just make a gift for Shay's appreciation if you want to be a part of uh, what make the church is. <laughs> so uh, I'll give you a chance. Um, now, don't take too long because I got a lot to say here, all right? I know you got a lot to yeah, say. Yeah. But, and so, there's a Chiefs game. I know. Right? And I'm taking your time right now. <laughs> it's okay. Oh, well, so yeah, I'm blown away by the gift. Dan and the board, ever, dude, that's unbelievable. I don't, uh, wasn't expecting anything. Feel incredibly blessed by that. Um, but more so, just wanted to tell everybody, certainly, man, we love you guys. Uh, we're not leaving because there's anything uh, happened, like with the church or our marriage or anything. Is they're just kind of following uh, the leading of God, and uh, we're excited to 
man, raise the kids for a little while in the country and give them a simple life. And, you know, we're, um, this, the six years that we've been OPCC has been some of the six best years of my life. And uh, not only have I met majority of you and done life with you guys, shared life with you, the Holbrooks, though, are like family. Uh, Jimmy is my best friend, aside from my wife. Never in a million years did I dream of having a friend like Jimmy. And, um, and really, man, you guys, like I, I was listening to Sean singing that song, and it, it felt like the whole church was erupting. Like, this church, this, when we first came to this church, there was like 12 people, one service, and I mean, it was like, man, we're not sure why God called us here. And that, it's so obvious why God called us here. And like our work uh, for the time being is done here. Uh, that doesn't mean that y'all aren't our family and our friends. And, and uh, man, you know, we cherish every relationship in this room. But we're excited to see what God has for us. We're moving to the Big Apple, uh, which is not big at all. Appleton City, Missouri is about 1,100 people. So uh, we're, we're, we're looking forward to that. But we're not that far away. So come see us. Uh, thank you guys for your support and your prayers. We'll be cheering you guys on just as much as we would hope that y'all would be cheering us on. And, uh, you know, so so long for now. Damn brother man. Jimmy. Thank you, brother. <laughs> All right. And oh. it's a good word. Yeah, Don't good. Word. <laughs> All right. Uh, Romans chapter 7. Let's jump in there. We kind of have this spirit about us um, when someone uh, says, I bet you can't do that. You're <laughs> like, hold my beer, right? And I'm going to show you, uh, not that I'm always drinking beer. I don't drink like that. Anyway, uh, it's a saying, right? <laughs> All right, let's move on. Uh, it's okay, mom. <laughs> my mom watches. Uh, so anyway, uh, we have this spirit about us, like, oh, you tell me I can't do something. I'm going to show you that, that I can do it. When it comes to spiritual growth, um, that, that does more harm than good. Uh, you cannot grow in the Lord without the Lord doing some things in you. And so we're, when it comes to our relationship with Christ, a lot of times we think that by, to, to walk with the Lord, I, not, I need to try to do good. Um, and that's not how this thing works at all. It, it's more that God has done something in us, and we don't focus on the doing. We focus on the being, and as a result, we start to grow as we think about who we are in Christ. Now, Paul has sort of led us up to this point where he's talked about, hey, here, here's where God is, here's where man at is, and they're totally separated. And because of that separation, the more that the man, when God tries to reveal truth to, to humanity, and a person suppresses that truth and holds it down and doesn't like let it, let it do its work, then a person can become delusional in their thinking and God will even give them over to a depraved mind because that's what they want. But as we respond to the truth, then something incredible happens. We find that um, in the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, Jesus did something we could never do. And, and when we in faith embrace that, then the Lord um, justifies us. And so we go into this status of justification before the Lord. And in that justification, it means that God the Father can look at us because of the sacrifice that was made by God the Son, and He can be in relationship with us and retain all of His holiness because we have been covered by the sacrifice that was made on the cross of Calvary by an innocent sacrifice, Jesus. And so now we're justified. And after justification happens... That is the beginning of our journey in the Lord. 
we move from justification into what is called sanctification. And sanctification is really just a a fancy way to say spiritual growth. We're growing and being sanctified by the Lord as we walk out our days um, here on the planet until we come to the time where uh, we are alive no more, but we are with Him uh, forever and ever. And so we go through this process of sanctification ultimately until we land at glorification. And glor- I, I, good, that's a good word, ain't it, bro? <laughs> and so a glorification is when, uh, when we, are, like, we are glorified as Christ is glorified. And so in this phase that we are in right now, we're in this process of sanctification. So Paul has said, okay, you're justified. We're turning the corner now. We're going to talk about your sanctification and your spiritual growth. And last week, he he led us into that in chapter 6. Well, this week, he starts to talk and describe this life a little bit. What is it like to be justified in Christ and going through this process of sanctification? And he starts in verse 1 of chapter 7. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, uh, but that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh... The sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So last week, Paul said, he used an illustration of slavery. He says, when when we come to know Christ and we are justified, we used to be slaves to sin, and now we're slaves to righteousness. And this week, he's talking about a marriage. He uses it as an illustration. And he's not so much specifically teaching on marriage as much as he's using marriage under the old covenant law that when two people were married and the husband died, the woman, she could go and she was free to marry. She was released from that. And he's saying that, Whenever we are justified from in Christ, we are released from the law. Now, what is the law? He's referring to the Mosaic law uh, that um, uh, we all humanity like is impacted by because it teaches us by God. But it was specifically given to the uh, Jewish people, and it tells how to live for God. And so we know that we would include in the Mosaic Law the Ten Commandments. But everything else, and and the Pharisees up to this point in time, after thousands of years, had come up with this incredible system that you followed to try to live the law. Like you could only take so many steps on the Sabbath and just all these different things um, that you could and, and could not do. And so Paul is saying that, man, 
When you die to that, when you, when, you, or you, when you die and you share in Christ's death and through faith you embrace the death of Christ as the perfect sacrifice for your sins and, and, and by grace through faith you are saved. Something happens. What are you saved from? You're saved from the wrath of God that he set up in chapter 1 and, and chapter 2. But what are you saved for? I'm saved to serve. And so when we say you're saved or you're born again or you're justified or anything like that, what do we mean by that? We mean that you have had an encounter with God so significant that your life is completely shifted. Something has happened in you. And so Paul is going to talk about what that shift looks like and how it's different from what it was before when before you knew the Lord. Um, and so believers, what they do is they die to self, and they marry Christ. And so we end up being betrothed to Jesus in order to bear fruit for God. That's the whole purpose of salvation. Salvation is not about you. The gospel is God-centered. It's all about Jesus. It's all about God. It's about God the Father loving His um, creatures. And so whenever one of those creatures is saved, they're not just saved for themselves. Certainly there are the blessings of God that come in that, absolutely, but we're saved to serve the Lord himself. And so as we are saved for that service, we are betrothed to God in order that we might bear fruit for God. That's our purpose, to believe is to bear fruit. That is essential for a believer. You need to be bearing fruit in your life. What is fruit? Well, we know from Galatians chapter 5, there's the fruit of the Spirit. There's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering, um, gentleness. Um, patience and long-suffering may be the same, but there are nine different things there. You say, well, wait a minute, an unbeliever can be those things. That's right. But the difference is between an unbeliever and a believer is believers are doing it in a supernatural way. It's, it's coming out of them different than before they knew the Lord. Before, they, they didn't really care and didn't think about it, but now it's just starting to be produced as they are being what Christ has changed them into because they are, they are released from the law. They died with Christ on the cross of Calvary. They died in that moment. They were raised to life in Christ, and now they are betrothed to Christ. That's why the church is called the bride of Christ. We are his body on the planet. And in, that, in the midst of that, then we are supernaturally able to be kind. We are supernaturally gentle. This is why in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is teaching most um, famous uh, thing that Jesus ever taught in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 was a sermon. And it's where we find, like, you've heard it said that you should not commit adultery. So that's right. That's what the law says. But I say that if you look upon a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. You've, said that thou shalt, you've heard it said that thou shalt not murder. That's what the law says. But I say if you have hatred toward your brother, you are guilty of murder. You've heard it um, said um, that if someone, like Jesus, <laughs> then he goes on to say, if someone slaps you in the face... Turn your cheek and let him slap that side too. <laughs> what? Like I thought we were supposed to, you know? Jesus is turning. And what is he seeing? He's setting up in the Sermon on the Mount, you can't do this. 
If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your arm causes you to sin, cut it off. You'd be better off going through life with a bloody stump at the end of your uh, uh, hand there than you would, or no hand, just a bloody stump, than you would sinning. Raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. Guilty, y'all didn't cut it off, (laughs) right? (laughs) That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that, that what Jesus sets up is an impossibility. You could never do that. You could never fulfill all that. You could never accomplish that. It is beyond our ability to do what Jesus is, is saying that we are to do. What he's showing is he's setting up, unless God does a work in you, you are not going to become what you are supposed to be. All that a man was originally designed to be, is that is what righteousness is. But when we are justified, what happens is, is that now, whenever somebody um, strikes us on the cheek, before we were justified in Christ, we would think about striking someone on the cheek. We would think, I'm going I'm to hit that guy right in the mouth. But now that Christ has justified us, now if that person hits us, we are the kind of people that think about letting them hit the other side as well. We, we are the kind of people that are starting to, to, to do battle against the things that happen inside of our minds. That's what Jesus is saying. The old way was written on stone, he says. That's the way this verse ends, or this section ends. He says the, the, the old way has, um, was written on stone, but the new way was written in the Spirit. Now, he teaches about this further in um, 2 Corinthians, a letter to the Corinthian church in chapter 3, verse 3. And he says this, You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. He said, the Old Testament law was given to Moses. We know the Ten Commandments were written on stone. But he's saying the new is written on your heart, and, and it's not with ink made by human hands. It's written on your heart by God himself. And so we are not the same when we encounter Christ. There is a transformation that takes place. And, and so the law we see that was external is showing what we could not do. But the internal experience, now we've, we've, we've been impacted by Christ and there's a transformation. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, the Bible says, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so the internal shows what only God can and has done in the believer. It is a transformation. In John chapter 15, Jesus said that if you abide in me, I will abide in you. He says that uh, any person who does not abide in me um, does not produce fruit. And he says, any branch that does not, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Any branch that doesn't bear, uh, abide in me and bear fruit will be taken and cast aside. And so there it is again. We are saved to serve. But when we're saved, we will serve and we will begin to bear the fruit of God in our lives. And when we're doing that, we're modeling the transformation. We, are n- we do not become perfect. We do not uh, become sinless individuals, and Paul's going to show us that we don't become sinful individuals, but we are different. There's something that happens deep inside of us that is not the same as it was before we encountered Christ, and he justified us. So let's go on and see what he says. What shall we say then? Well, this gets gets a little tricky to navigate, so pay attention. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had not it been for the law. 
For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Now, here we go. Watch this. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, but that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law at sin at work in, within me. Okay, so what, is, what in the world is Paul? Like, you could relate to that, right? As I keep wanting to do something for the Lord, but I never do get it done. And what I don't do that I know offends the Lord, I keep on doing. What is wrong with me? Right? We, I get that one. Here's what's going on. I'm no longer in the flesh, but the flesh is still in me. Whenever I encounter Christ and He transforms me, I'm no longer just living in the flesh. I have come alive in Christ. There is an inner me that is born again. When I came into this world, I was born of a physical birth. And Jesus said, if you want to inherit the kingdom of Christ, you must, in, you must be born again, a spiritual birth. And so a spiritual birth has happened inside of me, and I am alive in Christ. I become the temple of the Holy Spirit. God comes to dwell in me. I am unified with Christ. This is why the holy God of the universe can now look at me and be in relationship with me. It is not because I am good. It is because he is good, and I am indwelt by him, and he sees him son, that he sees his son that was made a sacrifice himself for my sin that covers my sin and allows me to walk in relationship with God. I'm not the same, okay? Well, what is it that is different about me? Well, even though I'm dead to sin, I still have the same body that I had before I came alive in Christ. And my body is fallen, and because I'm in this body that I have that I, uh, before I knew Christ, my flesh still craves sin. It knows what it is. 
Um, sin is deceiving, and, it, 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 and my body wants to be engaged with it. I'm of the flesh, but not in the flesh. Before, I used to be in the, of the flesh and in the flesh. Now I'm just of the flesh, not in the flesh. The old spirit is dead, but my flesh keeps on living. When you come alive in Christ, what happens? What is he talking about? You hate sin. You didn't used to hate sin. Matter of fact, you used to just love it, like a pig wallowing in slop. Just get down in there, man. It's great. Feels good to be in there. It didn't bother you at all. That's why sometimes you can look at the culture around you as a believer and you scratch your head and go, how are people living that way? They have no hatred of sin like you have because they are not alive in Christ. And so your your life is shifted when you encounter Christ. You start to develop a hatred of sin that you didn't have before you knew Christ. And, And your life is shifted in that way. Now, not only do we develop a hatred of of sin that didn't exist before, Uh, to live for Christ, we know Paul said that a believer doesn't let sin reign in his mortal body. So last week we learned in chapter 6 that believers, when we come alive in Christ, we don't let sin reign. Yet we have this thing where we are still of the flesh, and we are not in the flesh, but we're of the flesh, and we're not to allow sin to reign. To live for Christ means that I'm pressing into where Christ is leading me. And the closer that I draw to God, what happens for me is the more holy that I see He is and the more sinful that I see that I am. So we, we sometimes think, well, if the way that I'm going to follow Jesus is, man, I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to start getting things right. I'm going to start, I'm going to start reading my Bible and these things, and then I'm going to get really committed to the Lord. <laughs> the more you read your Bible, the more you understand the truth about God, the further you're going to feel like you are from Him. Now, What's crazy is you're going to be closer to him than you ever were. But the recognition of your sin in your life is going to be even greater. And and so so this, this thing happens inside of you when you meet Christ. You start to hate sin and you start to love righteousness. You didn't love righteousness before. You didn't love trying to do what God wanted you to do, but all of a sudden you love it. And so now you're living, you have this body of flesh that you're living in, but you are not in the flesh. You are in Christ and you're still existing inside this body that ultimately will be glorified. That's what this thing is about. That's why glorification is so important is that one day the body will be glorified just like the planet will be glorified. But until that time, we are in this conflict that we now love righteousness. We hate sin. We didn't used to hate sin. So sometimes people will say, well, man, if you give your life to Jesus, everything will just be great. That's ridiculous. Matter of fact, there are some things in your life that will get much more difficult because you love Jesus, because there are some things in the world that you will not love anymore as you give your life to Christ and you're trying to love righteousness. Now, I would say this, man, a kid said to me uh, yesterday, he's at Walgreens. I'm checking out there, man, getting me some batteries. And he's like, <laughs> young guy in his 20s. He's like, life just is tough sometimes, isn't it? I said, yeah, man, it is. It's just hard sometimes. 
But a bad day with Jesus is better than a good day without him. Right? And so we can look and go, man, I, I'm, I'm in a struggle, I'm in a conflict, and things are difficult, but I know the Lord, something has shifted inside of me. And so we look and we go, well, it, when he says here that salvation, like when we're saved, does that replace the law in our lives? Well, there's some people who will teach you that. No, it does not. The law was never a means of salvation. That's never what it was designed for. It was a means to show us that we needed salvation. It was telling us what, we, what God was like. It was telling us how sinful we are. It's just, what does the law do in us? It prompts us. It seizes the opportunity. It's everywhere. Don't walk on the grass. <laughs> Don't touch wet paint. <laughs> everywhere something tells us in an authoritative way not to do something, we tend to want to do it. And that's showing us, man, it's just inside of us is that we, like, the, that's what the law does. We are released from that. That's what we are released from. The law still has value. The law still teaches us how to follow God, how to reap the benefits of the kingdom, how to live by principles that bring wisdom to us, how to do things in such a way that fruit is produced in our lives. And so when we start to draw near to the Lord. And the only way to draw near to the Lord is to like be in the Word and just let it touch our hearts and show us more and more how we're, uh, we're to follow the Lord. But the, the closer we get to God, the further we, we are away from Him. Isaiah has this vision, man. Isaiah is a prophet in the Old Testament that gives us more prophecies about the coming of Christ 400 years before the time that Christ showed up. Like He, he is an amazing prophet of God. He teaches us so much uh, about who... Uh, what the Messiah would be. So we know he's a man that walked with God, and in one of his encounters, um, in a vision that he had with God, he was able to see the throne room. And so here's a guy who we know is walking with God, and in that moment, in that throne room, when he sees these angels flying around, and he knows he's in the presence of God, what is the conclusion he draws? I am ruined. I am undone. Not, oh, look at me, I made it all the way to the throne. I don't belong here. I, I'm in, I'm, I'm unholy. God, you are holy. So the person that God is using the most on the planet at that time is recognizing he is undone before God. And then the, one of the angels comes and brings a coal from the, the, the altar and touches his lips and it says, this will atone for your sins. And again, it was a, 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 a foreshadowing of what Christ would do as he touches our lives. He gives us a new spirit. He gives us a, a, a new a love for righteousness, a hatred for sin, a desire to walk in fellowship with him. He gives us a new song, a new strength, and a, a, a new name. Man, he does everything new. And it used to be dead, and all of a sudden it's alive. But it's still living inside of this flesh. No creation story. Right after Adam and Eve fell, they are out, uh, out of the Garden of Eden and they still are called to do what God told them to do, be fruitful and multiply. So they have these boys, Cain and Abel. They bring this sacrifice. They're trying to honor God and one does it based upon his faith and the other does it based upon his performance. And Cain is upset that God looked at Abel because he was pleased with Abel's sacrifice because Abel had faith. He wasn't pleased with Cain's sacrifice because he was trying to do it by performance. And what does God say to Cain? Bro, sin is crouching at the door. You must master it. And so what does that master it mean? Does it mean I become sinless? No, it means 
that master, you're like, I rule over it. Before sin ruled over me, now I rule over sin because I'm released from the law. I am righteous in Christ. He lives inside of me, and so now sin doesn't have to reign in my mortal body like it did before I knew the Lord. And so this whole thing about bearing fruit for God is making sure that I'm not allowing sin to reign. We live in the world, but we don't use the weapons of the world. We use the weapons of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, says our, our weapons, our warfare, are, are, are divinely given for the destruction of fortresses and any lofty thing raised up against Christ. And so it's prayer and discipline and reading the Word. And as I do those things, then what I find is, is that I am growing in the Lord. And so I'm in this conflict. And this conflict will continue until I'm glorified. And Paul says, continuing in our text, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my own mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. I'm rescued, or I'm, I'm wretched, but I'm rescued. That's what Paul's saying. I'm a wretched man, but I'm rescued. Now, we think of wretched, and our, what we've come to know wretched as is, ah, oh, that's the wretched thing. Put it out of my sight. I studied the Greek on this, and I was surprised to see the, uh, the word teliporos and understanding the meaning of the word. It means enduring toils and troubles, afflicted. That's a wretched person. He says, I'm wretched. I, I'm toiling in this flesh, and I'm enduring this, and I'm pressing through it. I'm reminded of Paul saying, I press toward the mark of the high calling of Christ Jesus. He's like, man, I'm afflicted in all of these ways, but I just keep pressing on because who will rescue me from this wretchedness? It's Jesus. It's Jesus that I rely on for what makes me right with God, not how well I did reign over sin, or if I stumbled and committed sin in that moment, I'm not going to allow sin to reign in my life. I'm pressing on, and I'm pressing into what God is teaching me. I may be wretched and have to deal with turmoil and, and, and toils, but I am rescued by Christ. What I am in nature is in constant conflict with what I aspire to be as a child of God in whom His Spirit dwells. There's a constant conflict. Galatians 5.17 teaches us about, the, about this. It's how we, we don't walk according to the flesh. We walk in the Spirit. And the conflict is not settled until seeing God, we shall be like him. That's what 1 John um, uh, teaches us. 1 John 3, 2 says, when we see him, we shall be like him. Jesus is in his resurrected form. He is the first fruits of the resurrection. This is why resurrection is so important in Christianity. Is you will not find this in any other religion in the world. That's why Christianity is amazing, man. It's amazing. So we, we have the only God who came to die in our stead. He rose from the dead as the first fruits of the resurrection. He had a resurrected body. He interacted with the apostles. He ate in that resurrected body. And don't miss that that was specific, that the apostles recorded that in the gospels, that he ate with us on one occasion. That is to show us that he was in bodily form, not spiritual form. He has a body. Jesus is not a spirit floating around. Jesus was a real 
historical figure that they crucified with no evidence of any wrongdoing that he did except claimed to be from God. Then he rose from the dead and they never did find his body. His uh, disciples who were terrified and in hiding after his resurrection interactions with them and the spirit of God came to them and they went um, from this wretched state of being alone to justified by Christ and then dwelt with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. They came out of hiding and changed the world and we're still trying to do it today. It's like the Spirit of God is inside of us, and and the inner man is always going to be in conflict with the outer man. The outward man belongs to this present age. The inward man belongs to the age to come. The outward man is doomed to perish. As I said a couple of weeks ago, we will all die. Not so with the inward man. The inward man will never perish. So what's the big idea? Walk in the Spirit, man. Walk in the Spirit. Do not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And so I think this is why a lot of times unbelievers look at people inside the church and you say something to them about coming to church. Now I'm not doing a church. The church is filled with hypocrites. The church is full of hypocrites. Because what they are doing is they're like, man, I look at these people who claim to know God and they're not, they got some of the same hangups that I do. Here's the difference. Here's the difference. Is the person who has encountered Christ no longer loves what you do. He hates what you used to do. Even though sometimes he's guilty of doing it, he hates it even while he's doing it, and he loves righteousness, and he's trying to gain rule over it. He's trying to rule in the spirit of Christ as, a, as opposed to allowing, allowing sin to reign in his mortal body. And so you might look at a believer, and a believer is and will stumble, but a believer is not to allow sin to reign. Like when you let it rain in your life, then you're saying you're a believer. Now that is a genuine hypocrite. Is someone who says, I have met and encountered the risen Christ, uh, and, and, but there's, that sin is con- constantly reigning in my life. When you look at my life, all you see is sin. You see none of the fruit of the Spirit. We ought to see the fruit of the Spirit being developed in a, or, 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 or playing out in a person's life. And so how, how does all this work out? Well, last, last week, um, <laughs> I... Uh, I, I, there's two days that I try to get in bed early, okay? They are, uh, yeah, go ahead and sit down. I'm not ready for you, man. <laughs> it's uh, uh, the, uh, oh, s- Saturday, Saturday nights. I want to be fresh for Sunday morning, so I like to try to get in bed um, and get a good night's rest. And Wednesday, I like to get in bed early Wednesday night because I've started playing in a pickleball league at 5.30 in the morning on Thursday. So I play from 5.30 to 7.30, so I want to rest. And so I get a little upset if there are things that are keeping me from, from going to sleep. Uh, and so uh, a couple of weeks ago, Abby, I go, I go to bed on a Saturday night, and she always goes to bed like at 9 o'clock, except when I want to go to bed early. Right? This was a Saturday night. I go to bed, man. I'm wanting to get some rest. And, and she's out there doing something, and the kids come home with some of their friends, and they're out there just having a party. <laughs> I'm trying to sleep, man. And so I finally just get frustrated, and I, I, I just I go out there. It's like, hey, Abby, I think I texted. I think I had to go out there because I can't see my phone without my contacts in. I'm trying to sleep in here. You need to get this thing piped down. 
And then I went back to bed, and I was so frustrated because I laid there, and my blood pressure got good. I didn't start to sleep good at all that night. It just ruined my whole night. And so in that moment, like, sin seized an opportunity in me. And then, if I would have been the one out in the living room making the noise, I, thought, I think that's fine. But I was in bed, see? And so gentleness and kindness didn't come out of my mouth. My flesh said, you need to tell them to be quiet. You're right. <laughs> and then I just, I couldn't get back to sleep after that. Well, this last Wednesday night, we had discipleship group, and I've been walking in this um, scripture that uh, a little while for about the tax, like the tax collector and the Pharisee, the, the Pharisee, man, he's like, man, I'm so glad, Lord, I'm not like other people. I pay my tithes. I pray. I fast a couple times a week. And even like that, I'm not like this tax collector over here. And then the tax collector's like, oh, be merciful to me, Lord, a sinner. He stood at a distance. And so I saw in that there's a comparison, and we make this comparison like that. I, I think it's okay for me to go in there and let them feel my wrath when I can't sleep. Um. And so like, I'm trying to look at ways in my life where that's playing out. And, and that was one. And so Wednesday night, this last Wednesday after that discipleship group, I'm trying to get in bed a little bit early for me. And I'm able to go to sleep. And Joel has moved out. Where's Bracket at? You are responsible too. Mark and Joel... Jack, they all live in a house together now. They came over at 1 o'clock in the morning to get some of Joel's stuff. Who does that? <laughs> right? On a, the night before pickleball. And so I'm already asleep, and I hear this eruption, and I look, and I grab my thing, and it's 1 o'clock, and I'm like, oh, well, Lord, I'm sleeping already, and I just say, I'm, I'm thankful for Joel. And I let my mind go another place, and I just fell back to sleep. And the next day, Abby said, how did you sleep last night? She knew it was a miracle. <laughs> she knew. And what was happening there is instead of allowing the flesh to reign in that moment, I listened to the Spirit of God. That's the conflict that I'm waging all the time. And every time I see myself, whether it's getting upset over the person who cuts me off, and I'm like, what a moron. I'm like, golly, I'm walking with the Lord all of these years, and still I'm condemning people when I know he doesn't condemn me. You see, you see what I mean? The closer I get to the Lord, the more I realize I'm not like him. But the more I want to be like him, and the more he helps me, and I'm walking by the Spirit, and when I walk in the Spirit, I have all this freedom. And when I walk in the flesh, all I get is death, death, and more death. And so, man, I would encourage you to walk in the Spirit this week. Look for the ways that you're walking in the flesh. Understand what this thing of Christianity means. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but it does mean you don't let sin reign. You let Jesus reign. He's now Lord. And Peter, in the book of Acts, the kids today are learning about this. I want to encourage you in it. Peter's teaching these people all this, and they go, man, like, what do we do? What do we do? And he says, repent that times of refreshing may come. And so really, 
Peter's is teaching them the same thing I taught you. So I would encourage you to talk to your kids this week about repentance, about what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. Have these conversations with them. They're, they're learning down there. And you, you need to be pastoring your home. And you might be surprised at what God will do in your life as you talk to your kids about what he's doing in theirs. It may be the, you're the one that gets stretched and challenged. So I'd encourage you in that. And you go, well, what do I do right now today? I feel like I've been letting sin reign. Repent that times of refreshing may come. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your spirit that lives in us. <laughs> that you don't live, leave us to ourselves. And Lord, you don't demand perfection out of us because you are perfect and are in us already. But in our gratitude, help us to see that we were saved to serve. And may we bear fruit, Lord, so that others may feast on what is left over from our lives. If there's one who doesn't know you here today, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. They would repent, change their mind about you, Jesus. Change their mind about what they think about um, how they're living and surrender their lives and die in you today. Like, let their old man die that you might be raised to life in them. I thank you for this body of believers and what you're doing. And I pray these things in Christ's name and amen. Listen, I'm going to turn it over to Sean. He's going to close us out with a worship song. I, uh, like if, the Lord, if the Lord is doing something in your life, share what he's doing with somebody. Like, tell me. Like, fill out a card. Put it in the offering. Ask to go lunch, just to, to lunch. Just say, man, I, I want you to know, man, I, I think I met the Lord. I, I, I repented and recommitted my life to the Lord today. We, we want to share that with you, okay? And the fact of the matter is, is like, I could ask you to raise your hand and say, oh, man, raise your hand if you gave your life to Jesus. If you don't have the courage to tell somebody what God is doing in your life, your faith is not whole. Like if the Lord does something in your life, all of hell is not going to keep your mouth shut. It is a, our hearts we believe and our mouth makes confession. So open your mouth and tell somebody the good news of how the gospel touched your life. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.